You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as I can. Actually, we're looking forward within the next, I don't know, hopefully about 10 minutes. My guest will arrive. He will come through the door, and I guess I'll have to figure out how to put him in his chair. It does happen. You give the Waze GPS coordinates, and for some reason this building, it's the second time it happened, where it seems that the GPS sends you to a similar address. I don't know. There's not like it's west-northwestern or east-northwestern or... But it happens, so he'll be in a few minutes. So since I have a few extra minutes, I figure I will practice. Um, I'm supposed to speak uh, this Saturday night, maybe, because this Saturday night, or Matzah Shabbos, is the, what we call the beginning of the Slichot prayers. Slichot means to ask for forgiveness. There's beautiful poetry Generally speaking, there's three basic pieces of poetry said every day leading up to Rosh Hashanah. The first one we start actually after, I'm going to say midnight, but midnight is the wrong word. After the middle of the night, so that means here in Detroit, that's about 1.30. And people will get together and we will say the this poetry, we will... All of it is saying how we need to ask for forgiveness. Um, we want God to forgive us. We're going to use what's called the 13 attributes of God. It's a very powerful prayer. It takes anywhere between 25, 35 minutes. Um, then it's Sunday morning, so most people sleep in, except for those of us that have to teach Sunday morning, so we don't get to sleep in. So in past years, I, um, I speak. I speak three times. I speak once this first night of the Slichot. I speak one day on Rosh Hashanah, and I speak the evening of Yom Kippur. However, this year, because of Corona and people are still nervous and we're still working on all the the um, the logistics of how we're going to set up the prayers, the synagogue I'm in is actually done construction. We used to be in a basement. We've moved upstairs. They gutted the house, so now it's tall vaulted ceilings, a lot of air. We have room on the porch for people that want to be on the porch. People want masks. They'll be inside with masks. People don't want masks. They'll be outside, which is sort of counterintuitive. So we have to see either we're going we're gonna to put the masks outside and non-masks inside or vice versa. I think that'll depend over the next few days how many people still actually want to wanna come. People are still nervous. And one of the things I want to focus on when I speak, I say if I speak, because, again, even if you want to be in an enclosed area, people don't want to be too long. So there, we can't really shorten the prayers. Prayers are prayers. You don't want to shorten them. We're not looking for shortcuts. But if there's time that's 
that we use, it's extra time, um, we're going to cut that out. So perhaps we're going to cut out speeches so I won't have to speak on the high holidays. Perhaps we'll cut out the Kiddush where we, since it's a long day, we take about a 20-minute break and people make Kiddush and we'll have a piece of cake or a cup of coffee, just something to strengthen them for the rest of the day. Very At this point, those are out. So you cut 45 minutes from the prayers so you're, you're there less time. But it could be for the Slichot. It's anyways only 20, 25 minutes. So two minutes, we'll see. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, really, really been thinking about, is, um, is we all want to know what's the takeaway, right? There's been this corona. What lessons do I take? And there's lots of stuff. There's really lots of things that have happened to people, some good, obviously many things not so good. Um, the effect to the children, effect to schools, effect to work, effect to travel. There's been a lot of effects. But in my circle where I'm coming from, anybody Jewish, and the truth is, I imagine Christians are going through the exact same thing. Um, a lot of people stopped going to synagogue to pray. You had two months, let's figure out what it was, it was Passover time. And you couldn't even open up backyards um, for eight weeks. That's two months. And then it was a couple weeks later. You're talking close to three solid months that most people did not step foot in a synagogue. And again, I'm imagining church is the same. Obviously, I can't vouch for that. I'm sure the Reformed temples, the conservative synagogues are all the same. People didn't walk in. And if they're older, for sure they didn't walk in. And even with the synagogues opening, probably depending where you live, where in the world you are, and we're all over the world, some people still haven't gone back. Even my son, um, who, thank God, finished his quarantine last week, and he's moved back into school in Israel, but there's like, they're pods. In other words, they've not roped off areas, they've, they put barriers up. And each little area is only the guys that are hanging out with each other. So if, God forbid, somebody gets sick, so it's just that little cloistered group. So they may be allowed to pray with a bigger group. But uh, where he is in Israel, most uh, synagogues or, or whatever they are, the Minyanim or the Shibloch, it's 10 people. It'd be a lot of tents. People are afraid. Um, so, but a lot of people have really gotten used to the fact that they don't go to synagogue anymore. And if they don't go to synagogue, like what happens? So you didn't go to synagogue for three months. You got used to either praying at home or more likely you got used to not praying and, you know, it's, it's okay. I can handle not praying. Look, what am I supposed to do? This is uh, the situation. I can't go to synagogue. I can't pray. Don't know how to pray. But even when they're ready to open up, are you ready to go back? Like forget about ready, health-wise ready. Let's say health-wise, you are ready. I actually got a call um, last night. They want my plasma again. I said, oh, I wasn't sure if the antibodies, they stay or don't stay. They said, well, you give us the plasma. We'll let you know if you still uh, have the antibodies. They want that plasma. So I have to, to work out a time because my Fridays are my best day, and they said I have to come Tuesday. I have to figure it out. But in any case, we're so used to not coming to prayer that... Many of us are happy not going. Either we're just going to stay home, and if somebody asks where were we, we'll say, well, what do you mean? I pray at home. It's safer that way, or 
whatever excuse they will give. So this has now become probably the biggest tragedy from people I'm speaking to, from the rabbis I'm speaking to, is so many people lost that automatic. It was like automatic. You wake up in the morning, you run to synagogue. You come home from work, you run to synagogue. Saturday, Shabbos morning, it was automatic. It, whatever time you want to pray, you, you like the 8 o'clock, you like the 9 o'clock, you like 9.30, but there was like no such thing. Even a guy who has to be at work, you have doctors, they have to be at work sometimes, 6 o'clock in the morning, surgery, 7 o'clock in the morning. Good, so during the week they have a problem getting to synagogue. But for those people that, uh, that could only go on the Sabbath and holidays for prayer, that was like automatic. There was no such thing as not going to prayers on the Sabbath. And high holidays coming up, for sure, there was no such thing. And now for the first time, and I, good, I'm not old enough, even though I've told you before, I pretend to my class I'm 750 years old, so you would think at my ripe old age I should have lots of experience, but... Um, I can fool them. Hopefully you guys don't really believe I'm that old. Um, but my class does. So they'll always ask me things that happened like a thousand years ago. And I'll say, come on. You know I'm not a thousand years old. I mean, come on. So um, anyways, so this, this idea that all of a sudden we have so many people not coming to synagogue, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to find out, but I know on the high holidays, we're, we're right now at less than half for people that have signed up for the regular coming to prayers. And I'm willing to bet in most synagogues, certainly around here, that's going to be a lot of the numbers. People might still be outside in tents. Good. They'll be praying there. But, I, you know, I'm willing to bet lots of people are going to still stay home. And again, if for health reasons they need to stay home, of course they have to stay home. But if there's not really a good health reason, and if there's not a reason that you should be staying home, you can wear the masks, you're a younger person, you're, you're, you're healthy, but people are making excuses. So with all that in mind, and I won't give such a long introduction when I speak, if I speak uh, Saturday night, I found a beautiful story. So the story is told, his name was Ramesha Aaron, I should look at my paper, that's terrible, uh, with Ramesha Aaron Stern, thank you very much. He is, or was, a, what's called a mashkiach. That means he took care of the boys. He wasn't the actual teacher, but he was around to make sure everybody was doing what they should be doing. He was like a social worker also. If people needed something. If boys needed something, he helped them spiritually. He helped them physically, emotionally. So um, he was in the school called Kamenitz, which is a school in Jerusalem in the Geula neighborhood, if you know the area. Um, when I was in Jerusalem studying, I actually was like around the corner from his school. When he was nine years old, he got very sick. And they went to doctors, and they went to rabbis for blessings. And look, father ran around, whatever he could, and nothing was really working. So the father tells his son, he says, Maisha Aaron, he says, the doctors are working on you, everybody's praying for you, but now it's your turn. Now you need to do something. you got to do something that you should deserve to get healed. A nine-year-old boy. So he says to his father, what do you suggest? And father says, find a good, something good that you can do. And again, the boy is nine. He says, what do you suggest? He says, I suggest that you always pray with a minion, with a quorum, 
You always make sure there's 10 men, no, um, you know, early morning, you have to go to work or something, you're going to, come on in, my guest is here. Dan, how are you? I'm telling you a story. They want you in that seat, and you can slip on the headphones. Great. Right there? And they'll wave from behind the glass. You can put on the headphones. You'll be able to hear. But i got to finish the story. Then we can talk. Anyways, so um, we're telling, right? Kelsey, Mike, oh, and you should pull, they want you to pull the mic up closer to you. Good? Okay. Kelsey says you're good. If Kelsey says you're good, you're fantastic. Anyways, we're, we're talking about, we're telling a story that uh, one of the things that's happened because of corona is no one's going to shul. And, and people that were used to it have stopped going. So I'm telling you a story with, there's a Ramesh Aaron Stern, he was a mashkiach in Kamenitz. You familiar with him? Believe it or not, I'm sort of related. It doesn't count, it's my wife's grandmother's brother-in-law, but that doesn't really count, but close enough. Anyways, so um, he was sick as a child. So his father said, you gotta find something to do that, should, uh, that will help you, that you deserve to be healed, that God will heal you. So his father said to this nine-year-old, Maisha Aaron, he says, accept upon yourself to never miss davening with a minion. Always be with a quorum of ten people, which is a good trick for a nine-year-old to say for the rest of his life he's going to do it. And the boy said, no problem, I'll do it. And he got healed. So years later, um, he's already mashkiach, and it happens, uh, people have to fundraise, schools need fundraising, we, we'll get to our fundraising later. So he wanted to go to America to fundraise. The problem is, it's a 13-hour flight, at least in those days. And to, to take that flight, you usually, in the old days, pre-9-11, um, you go on an LL flight, no problem. They make a minion in the back. So he asked the travel agent, he says, um, will there be a minion? Right? Will there be a quorum to pray? Travel agent says, I am not responsible for booking for taking care if there'll be a quorum, a minion for you. Maybe there will, maybe there won't. So he wouldn't take the flight. Then he found out there was a, a stopover, a flight with a stopover in Amsterdam. And there he could get a, he could get a minion, took a morning flight, gets off the plane. Now again, it's not like nowadays. You take out your cell phone, you call somebody. He just walks out of the plane, goes to the street, figures he'll ask somebody you know, it's coming from Israel, right? He probably forgets that you don't get to walk down the block to, uh, to get a minion. So he gets on the plane, waits a few minutes. All of a sudden, a guy stops by, and he says, Rabbi, where are you going? He says, I need to pray with a minion. I'm going. Hop in. He takes him into town. They're like two minutes away. And the guy says, uh, okay, they get in. There's eight people. So the nine and ten is this guy driving for whatever strange reason, from the suburbs, and this Ramesh Aaron. So he gets his minion, guy drives back to the airport. So this Ramesh Aaron years later said, look, I needed a minion. There's eight guys in the middle of Amsterdam that are waiting. So God sends a guy from the suburbs to pick me up from Israel for this minion. Beautiful. But for me, what I want people to take from the story is, uh, don't worry, we'll get your water next time. By the break, we'll get you out. Um, I take from the story the power of praying in a shul. In other words, this child was sick. He was healed in the merit that he took upon himself to pray in a shul with a minion. And that's something that I think we need to think about a lot because we're allowed to start going back. 
The problem is people are not ready to come back. People are nervous. People are scared. Some for good reason, but not everybody for good reason. Some are just, I hate to say the word lazy, but they're complacent is really a good word. That's my story. And now that Dan made it, which I'm so happy, sorry, GPS, ways. I tell you, the second guy who, um, you didn't get lost. Just no, I went to the right address. It's just a, probably a different city. Probably two, a different city. Two addresses on Northwestern. So, Dan, how are you today? Thank God. I am so incredible. I'm, I'm, everything is great. I really, really can't complain. Amazing. I was actually thinking to myself, um, I will talk who Dan is momentarily, but you really owe me a cup of coffee. That's true. You owe me a cup of coffee. That is true, yes. And, and I couldn't get you to go out with me for a cup of coffee. So instead, I brought you down to the studio. Here you go. And see, that worked even better. That's right. So even though we're towards the end of, of our first segment, but who cares? Who is Dan Lukowitz? Uh, great question. I'm uh, figuring that out, I would say. Okay, well, <laughs> what direction is Dan Lukowitz in? Yeah, so Dan Lukowitz is uh, a young guy who uh, loves what he's doing, loves, loves people, loves life. Um, Dan is... Uh, 36 years old. I'm going to speak now, not in the third person. Good, I'm, good, I'm, good. I'm a commercial real estate broker. Uh, I specialize in investment sales. I work here locally, actually, pretty much across the street from you. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, which so, is why I knew the address. I thought it was over here. But that then, is so funny. You're right here. Okay. Yeah, and um, I've been involved in different aspects of real estate for probably about 10 years. Uh, interestingly enough, we know each other from a while back. I was a development director at another large Jewish day school in Michigan. Right. So uh, we have a, quite a bit in common, which is wonderful. And I'm um, just really happy to be here, happy to be connected, and, and happy to be uh, on this show. Cool, cool. So we're going we're gonna to have lots of fun. Um, but let's start with this. You said you're a people person. Um, you actually told me you're a connector. That is yes. such a good word. Yes, yes. What is a connector? So okay, I'll give you an example. Tomorrow morning I'm flying to Fort Lauderdale. Oh, you're flying. Oh. Flying to Fort Lauderdale. This last weekend, I was with my kids in New Jersey, flew there. Great. Week, weekend before there, I was in Dallas. The reason I'm telling you this is because while I was in Dallas, I met someone who's involved in veterans housing. And I have some close friends who actually, one of them I went to Yeshiva with in Eretz Yisrael, and we keep in touch, love the guys. They own hotels in, in Fort Lauderdale. And I made some connections in Dallas, started speaking with some individuals, and tomorrow I'm flying to meet an individual from Dallas I've never met with someone who works with me in Cincinnati, who's also flying down there, to meet two young men that I know from Eretz Yisrael because the individual from Dallas is going to place veterans in the hotels that my friends own in Fort Lauderdale. So that's connection. And um, honestly, a lot of this, uh, I love LinkedIn. Yes, so do I. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's kind of how we got here. Sure. So LinkedIn, what's amazing is that LinkedIn is a natural connecting platform. So I'm able to utilize that platform through speaking or putting out articles or providing value to people and helping people to connect with each other in ways that are valuable to all parties involved. And the coolest part is, and I, I, I get this from Yona Weiss. I don't know if you know Yona. Uh, he's got a podcast, The Weiss Advice, also a friend of mine from, from Jerusalem. Okay. Is that when you give, you always get more. So I find that when I add value and I connect people, I don't do it for any ulterior motive. And always, without exception, the doors that I open, open up bigger doors for myself. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Right, that's, uh, right, that's the verse. I, of course, I always forget it, right? You, you throw your bread out on the water, and, and you just see it's coming back. Yeah. When it's coming back, how it's coming back. We don't worry. We don't know. We don't care. Right. We, just, we just do good to be good, especially now. 
You yeah. hate to say it that way. Especially now because the holiday season. That's like saying that you, you have to behave because something's happening. And especially soon. now because of what's going on in the world. I think that we need each other more than, more than ever. And I think we realize that we are as human beings more connected than we ever thought we were. Yeah, yeah I almost think, but that's almost the problem. I mean, I'm glad. It's good to hear that you're actually flying to meet these four guys face to face. Yeah. But everybody else thinks they're supposed to meet on Zoom. So the, you can meet on Zoom. It's great that you can do that. That's an option. However, it's not a replacement. Right. It's not a replacement. I had on a, was it last week? No, two weeks ago I had, her name was Eliza Ben Shalom. She's a, a, um, a marriage, um, she's not like a shadrin. She's she, um, she basically mentors people and coaches people. She's a marriage coach. Oh, cool. Okay. So that's what she does. She, she helps people get connected and... And we were talking about how they do it on Zoom. And I was, now they start out on Zoom, but eventually, right? Yeah. You're not getting engaged because you met somebody on Zoom. That's, you know, that's an old thing. I remember being in Los Angeles years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I met an individual who had a product called Shidduch Vision. And it was actually designed for that exact same thing. They had a special K1 line that was secured. They did it in someone's home. And that was allowing people in Los Angeles, where there was actually a little bit of a Shidduch crisis, allowing them to meet with girls or boys that they would not have otherwise met with because of the traveling difficulties. Yeah, I wonder, like, I wonder if they set it up a few years too early. Like, now... Now it's the thing. Now it would be great because I think if I'm remembering that one correctly, the reason they did that was very fascinating. If most of the boys and girls live on the East Coast. Right. So here we are in Detroit. I have a daughter that's 19. I have children got married already. I have four married kids. I'm sorry, I have five married children. <laughs> but don't worry, they're not paying attention. <laughs> so it's a little hard to tell somebody, get on a plane and go meet a girl or go meet a boy. It's a little harder. 100%. So they would do this online thing, but I don't know how well it worked. They would do it online, see if they liked the person, and if it was worth it, then they would get on a plane. But I don't know how it, if it ever really took off. I'm not sure, and I know I spoke, I spoke with someone else actually that I'm related to who he was actually, uh, his travel was actually paid for when he was in yeshiva in Queens to go to Los Angeles because there were so many young ladies in Los Angeles that were having a hard time getting married. So they would literally like import Bahram from right. the East wow. Coast. Wow, amazing. I did actually hear about those yeah. things, especially for LA, because again, someone like myself, I don't have money to start, you know, flying out numerous times. So right. if you're willing to help, you know, I'm willing to go there. Ah, Queens. My old stomping grounds. Really? You, you were ever in Queens? My brother learned there. Where? At uh, Chavetz Chaim. Okay, so my... <laughs> you have to love Jewish geography. Love I have a brother-in-law who's a Chavetz Chaim guy in Kew Garden Hills. Yeah. And Kew Gardens Hills, right? Oh, Kew, I always say Kew Garden Hills, but I, I went to school in Kew Gardens. So I went to school in Kew Gardens, but I... <laughs> I, I but Kew Garden Hills... If you ever go there yeah. without a ways, it is by far the worst place. Oh, it's crazy. Place because there's 73rd Street, 73rd Avenue, 73rd Road. You have, if you think you had a little trouble over here and this is easy, this is easy. I, I just look at my ways. I have no idea yeah. where I'm going. And I hung out there. Mm -hmm. And there's still no way to, to figure it out. No. So I, believe it or not, for our first segment, which uh, we're about to end because I have about a minute and a half, um, so one thing I just wanted to ask you, you have a minute, and then we'll, we'll get into okay. more stuff. Um, is it natural to be a connector, or it's a skill that you happen to have and you can just make better? The answer is yes. It's both. So for me, it's natural. I love it. It's just since I was a kid, I was always a social guy. And I think that it's something that I've cultivated and that others can cultivate. 
people can step outside of their comfort zone and become natural connectors, or I should say, can cultivate that natural connector within them. So I think as human beings, we're naturally and inherently innately uh, attracted to connection with other human beings. So it's not a matter of like, can you just turn it on? It's a matter of bringing it out. Do you ever teach people to do yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually teach people how to use LinkedIn for commercial real estate and for connection in general. Oh, really? Yeah, cool. Yeah. See, it's so amazing with LinkedIn because I think I originally got on because I wanted a presence because I am a fundraiser and I thought it would be a great mode. It is. To, to, uh, here comes my music. We'll talk about it when we come back. But my music is here, but Dan is now here. He will join us in our next segment. But as it is, I hope you liked it short and sweet. Thank you to the sponsor and listeners. I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Kelsey who is back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.